so we all pointed at him and said, Dewey, Dewey, good man, mummy fucked a dog shit. And weirdly, we never saw any repercussions. No, no. Hey everyone, welcome to another fine episode of Fat Man on Batman. (laughs) Get off him, Fat Man! (laughs) Oh god. We're live from the scum and villainy cantina here in uh, Los Angeles. Um, (laughs) I'm I'm Kevin Smith. I'm Ralph Garman. Oh, Neither of us could play Mark Bernardin because, let's be honest, it would be slightly creepy. It, and a started, bit offensive. it started decades ago and was applauded and <laughs> inoffensive, <gasps> but oh. now it's politically incorrect. <laughs> oh, God. Also, it's steamed hams. Yes. <laughs> For maximum memeage. Right. If you ever want to date this podcast... Just cut it in half and count the Simpsons references. Big damn cast, but it's steamed hams. Still more relevant than the Simpsons. Hey everyone, I'm Chris. I'm Matt. We are 90% fat, and you will have to deal with that. Yeah, I'm about 76% fat. Oh, but no, I mean we're 90% like of all fat. Of all fat yeah. in the known universe. In the known universe. We're the heaviest matter in the universe. We're 90% of it, which is why... We need to diet on healthy, tasty memes and good news. Healthy, tasty memes. Well, we ain't got shit this week, I tell you. Um, oh, bitches. But what we have got... Strap in. We'll start with a good one. <clears throat> We're in the same room. Hey! hey! Woo! There we go. It's good to see you, Chris. It's good to feel you, Matt. It's good. No, don't, don't feel me. You'll get in yeah. trouble. Oh. I will take out a restraining order. I have a lawyer and they're very good. No, 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 no. You see, you have a lawyer, but you denied knowing that the lawyer had paid me off. Oh, yeah, yeah. So because of that, you've now opened your lawyer up to investigation and we've seized all of your assets. Oh, yeah. The weird thing is, this is us attempting political satire, but by the time this episode goes out, that situation will have developed tenfold already. Yeah. So, enjoy that, everyone. You can't can't satire politics when it moves faster in in satirising itself. Mm-hmm. Then you can write satire. Aye. That's why Charlie Brooker doesn't do Weekly Wipe anymore. I thought it was a mix of things, but that was one of them, yeah. I thought it was also <laughs> because it's like, uh, the no. people don't want to give us the money, and I'm off making Black Mirror. So I have no idea why Charlie Brooker doesn't do Weekly Wipe anymore, but that wouldn't surprise me. That's why the President um, Show was so good, because they would they predicted stuff that then happened later down the line. Which is terrifying. Yeah. That's a terrifying thought. <clears throat> yeah. We're at that point. Yeah. Speaking Fuck. of at that point... Here's the contents. Uh, um, coming up, we're going to be talking about ghost stories, yep. the Andy Nyman, Jeremy Dyson horror flick, which deserves your monies. It deserves your monies. It's, spoiler alert, it's really bloody good, and it's we'll get really into that later. Good. We'll talk about it in a bit. Uh, we're also going to chinwag a little bit about other things. Yeah, well, we're going to catch up on your emails from the last few, uh, couple of weeks while we've been away. Yeah. Um, yes, Luke, we're going to read your Randy Quaid thing. <laughs> three, he said it was three times. Well... The Holy Trinity. Three times. The Holy Trinity. Three times. The Chevy, the Chase, the Chevy, the Chase, and the Holy Quaid. Um, <clears throat> we're also going to be um, uh, touching up a bit. Uh, not gonna... literally gross on the Stanley situation. Yeah, we're going to talk about. But first, but first, joy but first. and frivolity for yay! Um, Christmas has come cri- early. Christmas has come early with um, the the tr- the first official trailer for the upcoming 
Jason Statham versus <clears throat> Giant Shark movie. The Meg. Now, for the longest time, this was confusing me because didn't Arnold Schwarzenegger do a zombie movie called Meg a couple of years ago? No, he did was a zombie called? movie called... Little Dirty Bill. <sighs> oh, it had a girl's name because it was about his daughter turning into a zombie, but I can't remember what it was called. Megan? I've seen, I've seen it. Um, it's not Megan. Shut up, Meg. Uh, <laughs> that should be the title. Should be the sequel to the Meg. Shut up, I'll, I'll, Meg. I'll look it up. I'll look it up. Hit, hit um, us with hit yeah, us you, with the you Meg. Look what? it up because I, I've seen it. And it's quite good. Um, I've seen the Meg you. is what? it's a movie starring Jason Statham from the director of While You Were Sleeping and Cool Runnings. <laughs> Maggie. It's out. You're not Maggie. That's quite good. It's very. I good. didn't even get to the end um, of the search. It just hit me. Um, um, <clears throat> the Meg. Yes. Looks like a movie in which Jason Statham and a actually rather diverse and interesting cast um, fight a giant shark. Because of course. Because uh, and, and, by, and by giant shark I mean um, <laughs> there's a bit <laughs> in the trailer where Jason Statham goes, "It's a megalodon." Like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> sure. Oh god. That's that's the thing that Jason Statham would say ever. It's a megalodon. You know how Jason Statham doesn't give a fuck about what films he does? (laughs) Yeah, in a way that's kind of admirable. Yeah, like, he's like, I never really wanted to be an actor. I kind of just fell into this line of work, so I'm just going to do whatever seems like fun. And now we're getting... Point me in the direction of a camera and I'll just say words. You you fill all the rest in. You'll make it work. And let's see what else. What's that? Film where if my heart stops, I'm going to (laughs) die. Great. Great. I'll do it. Well, I mean, obviously, if my heart stops, I'm going to die. What a stupid thing to say. <laughs> a movie in which the beating of my heart is predicated on whether or not I get some form of chemical or electrical or augmented thrill. So I need, to, I need to fight people and get electrocuted and stuff like, where are you all going? Come back. Come back. <laughs> come back. Come back, love. Um, <laughs> so, who we got? We got Bullseye. It just turned into every Cockney character from everything ever. We got as a dog. We got Jason Statham. We got Rain Wilson. Yeah, we, we do. Got Ruby Rose. Yeah, we um, do. I was like, see Ruby Rose. Uh, great in John Wick too. I still um, see that one. Uh, got um, Cliff Curtis and Bing Bing Lee, mm-hmm. um, who seem to bring a bit more diversity to the cast. Paige Kennedy, Masioka um, from Heroes. Yeah, he was um, hero yeah. in Heroes. Um, Good to see yeah. him back in something. He was always really good. Yeah, Winston Chow. Uh, yeah, looks like a pretty pretty interesting cast. Um, looks like it could be, at worst, a big, dumb, fun monster movie. Um, Which we don't really get enough of anymore. Well, There's Ram- always morality tales attached to it. Rampage is just around the corner. Yeah, I'm kind so, of looking forward to that. That might be pretty good. I've, on I've, I've on heard the basis some... of just Dwayne Johnson being so excited about it. I've heard rumblings that it might actually be pretty fun. <laughs> I hope so. Also, yeah, it, the defenders make it look pretty fun. So, um, yeah, the Meg out in August. Watch the trailer, fam. Watch the trailer. Tell us what you think. Uh, also, a trailer came out for Solo: A Star Wars Story, but I, I've, I've I have the energy to talk I have about nothing it. to add. I just uh, it's it's trailer for a film called it's Solo. a trailer for a film called Solo: A Star Wars Story, which looks like it's a Star Wars film or a film set in the Star Wars universe. Fine. I just come away from the trailer going, man, I really hope that... they give Donald Glover enough to do because he looks so much fun in this. Yeah. But apart from that, I 
I, yeah. So Solo. Although Marla appears to be in the trailer, so fans of the Star Wars Holiday Special, your canon is secure. Are you ready for itchy and lumpy? <laughs> it really happened. Um, it's genuinely a part of the saga. I'm going to tell you some expanded universe bullshit. Today we celebrate some current, some, some current expanded universe. A current um, expanded universe. Yeah. Oh snap! Bullshit. So there's the aftermath series yeah. by Chuck Wendig, which covers <clears throat> yeah. like the the fall of the remnant of the Imperial remnant and the and the then the proper consolidation of the New Republic. It's the last days of the Empire, basically. Uh, the third book culminates with the Battle of Jakku, which is the proper end of the of the Empire as, as we know it. Yeah. Um, and the second book is may is mainly focused on the the cast tracking down an AWOL Han Solo. Because um, it's his own ragtime band of misfits, he doesn't really follow the main cast. Like Luke's not in them at all. Yeah, as far as I'm aware, uh, he, I've not finished the third one, but he's not been in that one so far. Um, but Leia, and... he's off murdering nephews. <laughs> yeah, basically, or attempted to. Um, <laughs> or think important distinction. Come on. Um, <laughs> and the fandom went no. He didn't go my way. I wrote this movie in my head twenty years ago. Um. Oh, 30 years ago! <laughs> um, <laughs> we celebrate a day of peace. So, um, a day of harmony. Leia's a, a, a fairly prominent supporting character because it deals with the Senate. Yeah. And like, the formation of the New Republic Senate and all that sort of stuff. So Leia and Mon Mothra and Akbarra and a bit of Wedge. Hey, bit of wedge. Um, they're, we give they're fairly... emergency powers to nope. wedge and nope. No, no, no. Um, and also, it's also... I'm a beggar now. But the main characters are like there's um, a, a um, there's a Brack bounty hunter and a former Imperial who's defected and a um, Snap Wexley, the um, Greg Grunberg pilot yeah. from Force Awakens. He as a kid. Is in this right, okay. and his mum is a former Republic. It's a former Rebel pilot, right? And they've okay. sort of, they sort of have been estranged through the Civil War, and then it's her coming back to get him. The first book is her coming back to get him from her home planet, which is which is not been liberated yet. Yeah, and then and then so they become the main characters of this of this little aftermath trilogy, basically. Anyway, the second book, Leia sends him to get Han because Han's gone AWOL. Aye, and grown a beard. Oh, so it's set during that bit around that bit from Battlefront 2 where he has a beard. Um, Anything for a variant action figure. And they end up liberating Kashyyyk. <clears throat> okay. Without, okay. Because the New Republic are like, no, we don't want to we don't want to liberate Kashyyyk yet because we've not consolidated our power base enough. But then Anne and Chewie are like, look, we need to do this. Mm. Um, and like Lumpy and Marla and yes. Scratchy and Pissy and, yes. and, and Cumstainy and, and Gleet. They're all in danger. <laughs> oh my god, I wish there was a Wookiee Chewbacca, <laughs> Chewbacca mentions his family. Of course he does. And one of the one of the epilogue uh, chapters, spoiler, is him reuniting with his son. Lumpy. I don't know if they call him Lumpy. I don't know if they name him. I can't remember. It's been a while since I've read it. Chewbacca but... walked over to his son, who was playing with one of 75 different devices in the house that starts a different variety act. Well, I wouldn't count. He the... was currently watching a Bob Hope hologram do a telethon on a fucking chessboard or something. I I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't count the holiday special as canon because um, if aftermath 
uh, life debt is, is the is the is the name of the book. Aftermath life debt basically makes out that Kashyyyk was a concentration camp planet. Well, for Wookies. Now, all we saw in the holiday special is at that point, yeah. it was under heavy patrol by the Empire. Uh yeah, yeah. We don't know what was going on down below. Oh, that no, it's, tree. it's implied in the book that it's been like that for a long time. Like, like Chewie hasn't seen his family Wookie, no, no, for Wookie, years. Yeah, and, ah, no, Wookies live like dogs. Um, and Han, <laughs> a year is seven years. Han hasn't met his family. Oh. No, I'm sorry. The holiday special exists. So it's not. Canon. You can't write it out of canon, you bastards. It's a real thing. Oh no, but that means that the holiday special then is relegated to the expanded universe. So the so the um, what's it now called? Legacy. It should be relegated to another universe. No, but think about that. That means that anyone who's a massive fan of the old expanded universe, yeah, yeah. Has to now accept that the holiday special exists only with them. It's Star Wars Legends. Is it? Yeah, oh my it's... god, the holiday special is now a legend. Yeah. We celebrate. Just like, just like the Thrawn trilogy and those Star Wars zombie books and. Oh yeah, they were a thing. Darth Undeadu. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we're going to get serious. <laughs> Stop it, we're going to get serious. Oh god. Um, okay. okay. Darth. Undeadu. Um, <laughs> A-N- sit over there with Darth uh, lounge chair. A N D E D D U. Undeadu. That's yeah, you could raise the dead. That's terrible. That's awful. <laughs> we must clean, cleanse this place of the river scourge. Bring me my friend, Darth Mister Sheen. <laughs> And Darth Shammy Leather. <laughs> Darth Bad Guy. Uh, it's pronounced Bajee. Bajee. It's French. Lord Vida, arrange a meeting with Darth Not a Very Nice Man. <laughs> <laughs> Daph pederast. Ah, Daph Fiddler. Welcome to my empire. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> we have to get serious now and I can't do it. Cause, um, stop, stop, stop. My emperor, you have a collect call from <laughs> no. Darth, that uncle who won't go away. No! Tell him to go away. I've tried. (laughs) (laughs) And now on to depressing real life stuff. God, right, okay, so... (laughs) We talked a while back about uh, concerns that people had about Stanley, his well-being, his... uh, the people looking after him, whether he was being taken advantage of, whether he was being looked after properly... Uh, well, The Hollywood Reporter did some digging, and they've done a bigger piece over um, at, well, thehollywoodreporter.com. Uh, you want to put this in the show notes so people can go and read the story? Yeah, we'll link it um, below, uh, and if you're what, listening to some iTunes or SoundCloud, you're just going to have to Google it, I guess. Yeah, no, we had a, we had a, um, we had a, a look at it beforehand. Mm. Um, and it's, it's quite a big story, so I'm not going to repeat it here, because it's bloody long. But it goes into a lot of depth about what's been going on 
with what allegedly has been going on with Stanley and the people looking after him and his daughter. Mm. Um, the claims that he <clears throat> had an inappropriate relationship with one of his nurses. Um, uh, and it's just, it goes into some real murky business and Stanley basically signed a declaration saying that the, like a couple of guys who were up to no good. No, no jokes. Um, <laughs> but, um, um, with taking advantage of his daughter and trying to leverage his daughter into getting more out of him, and apparently yeah. his daughter, his daughter, is apparently quite bad with money and is very volatile in terms of her own personality. Very, very, very volatile. Very. Um, I mean, she's sixty-seven herself, and he's ninety-five. So, um, and she apparently has been taken advantage of to try and leverage her inheritance and get more money out of Stan because he's, you know, he's a wealthy man. He's done well for himself, and he's got an estate to leave behind him when he does eventually um, pass away. Uh, well, I don't want that to be soon. Please don't let that be soon. Um, and it's just, it's confusing. It's even more confusing mm-hmm. having read that as to what's going on with who, who's doing what. Well, um, I mean, the report it's... sort of speculates in, so, well, the report doesn't speculate at all, but it sort of leads to the thoughts early on in the report that perhaps his daughter yeah. is doing is is doing or is being led into doing something really yeah really uh, dodgy but here. They also have, but then later on there is a video statements yeah. from Stan where he claims that any comment made against his daughter and one of the people involved um, are completely false and that they're his best friends. Yeah, and he says and he, yet he, previous stories, especially from the nurse who used to look after Stan, not the ones who made claims against him, but one who like. Stood up for him and looked yeah. after him, and was only recently sort of let go from that. Um, she claims that she had borne witness to occasions when um, his daughter was abusive towards him. Well, there's an account of um, when their daughter was physically abusive to to both to, to both Stan and his Stan and, and, and yeah. Joni. Um, so it's like, okay, is Stan protecting his daughter in these statements? And there's this as, video as a father of him. probably would, yeah. but like, there's a video of him coming out and saying that the statement he signed was he was signed under false pretense, yeah, and that due to his failing eyesight, he has people obviously like dictate all legal documentation to him to make sure it's fine, people he trusts, and yet, um, like, unless they just made up a statement on the spot to him, it seems rather odd. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like. So, so is is Stan trying to sort of let people know that there is something wrong, but at the same time feels pressured to not say it outright? Well, I feel or is like he's being pressured into defending them, or is it these other individuals who looked after him in both personal and a business sense, who are now suddenly possibly trying to leech from him? And it's, well, it's really, really murky. They make so it seem in the article like it was Joni who sort of kept him um, in in check in terms of he like Stan uh, apparently is the kind of guy who will just say whatever you want to hear to please you. Yeah. Like he's uh, he, he doesn't is. like to get in conflict with people mm. he'll like he'll say whatever to sort of keep the peace and um, apparently it was Joni who did who sort of um, helped shield him from some of the more dodgy aspects. Yeah. Um, and now she's gone not necessarily the case. Um, it it seems like there's, there's basically two camps of people fighting over Stan's 
inheritance while he's still alive. Yeah, and, and it's whether they're kind of but, but the, what's made it really murky is you can't tell if they're doing it for their own personal gain, yeah, or, or if they're doing it to defend against the other to protect him. You can't tell if either if either party has Stan's best interests in mind because both of them say yeah. that they do, but then. But things that both parties are doing don't seem to bear that out. Yeah. It's a very, very murky situation. And the only takeaway I've got from it is just I hope Stan's okay. Yeah, oh, but I mean, massive, massive props to Todd McFarlane, who obviously yeah. knows where Stan lives. So the other day, just drove straight just to Just at him. the end of March, yeah. April 5th, he put up a, he put up yeah. a post on Facebook. Uh, he spent an hour with Stan and talked with him and, and spent some time with him. Um. But yeah, just just a reminder that you know Stanley's nearly a century old. Yeah, he has been around for a long time, and he is, of course, beginning to, as he says, <laughs> Tom McFarlane getting old kind of sucks. But what can you do? I mean, um, that's, I just that's hope part... that people aren't being predatory. Yeah, to what, but I'm, I'm, someone is clearly. But someone, I, I mean, look, we'll look at look at the who is it, who is his um, his sort of man like tour manager and the guy who looked after him who was let go earlier this year. Yeah. Well, that's like what, that was that was an odd instance because that clearly looked like someone else had got rid of them. Yeah, um, and yet it seems based on all accounts and based on people like um, uh, Neil Adams and a few others chipping in that this guy and Stan were like best friends. Um, and add to that the fact that his you know one of his carers, this lady who's made the statements and stuff for this, seemed to adore him. She thought he was yeah. great, and she really enjoyed looking after him, and could tell when he was vulnerable. And she's gone now, and there's accusations of Stan's daughter, like have, making up a really fucking weird paranoid theory about inheritance in regards to the care nurse. Yeah. Um. To a degree, where you're like, that doesn't sound like the decisions of a stable person. His daughter is clearly mental, but then we don't have an outright state. We don't have an outright statement other than the care nurse's word that she said those things. Yeah, it's a lot of... But the care nurse doesn't seem to bear any ill will, and I think she was the one who actually defended him when the accusations happened back in January. Yeah. It's... So it, it's it's like, it's who, a, the who's whole fighting thing... on whose side here? Yeah. yeah, the whole thing is really strange, and... I mean, the power entertainment stuff, like, some people went on behalf of his daughter and someone else... To I think it was his daughter and one of them. In the middle of the night, yeah. to take some personal artifacts of Stan's, who Stan has, like, claimed since, oh, no, it's just stuff I wanted to be brought home. But... How do we know that they weren't like, oh yeah, we'll go get that for you, and then they go and get other stuff as yeah. well, because Power Entertainment are like, hang on, what are you doing? Like, going into our building in the middle of the night? Yeah, okay, fair enough, you do it on Stan's behalf, but really? No one, like, gave the boss or someone, like, a heads up, say hi, we're just going to pop to the offices. Sounds mighty suspicious. And it's just like, why? Yeah. The whole, the whole thing is just... It's a fascinating and sort of tragic mess. Mm. Just because it at the centre of it is a man who's now widowed and is vulnerable. Mm. And has spent the year and a bit since his wife's passing readjusting, but also showing that he's not he's not letting it stop him yeah. do the things that make people happy and that he seems to enjoy as well. Like he did a convention for the first time since this weird shut in period has begun. He did public appearances. He did a convention this weekend, yeah. just gone in America, and there are mixed reports. Some saying, "Oh, he had a whale of a time," and others from people over there saying he looked tired. Yeah, tired and harried, and being sort of led around yeah. like a puppet. Yeah. 
So it's difficult to know what to think. The only real thing uh, is that I'm, you know, we're just concerned for Stan and yeah. hope he's okay, um, and that no one gets no one gets the best of him. You know, no one take, is able to take advantage of him ultimately uh, when it all comes down to it. So a vulnerable old man. Who, yeah. yeah, he's a, he is he's ninety five years old. You know, he's he's even even the most spry. 95 year old is still more vulnerable than than most so hope you're alright hope you're alright Stan we'll, okay, we'll keep Stan. you guys abreast with any further stuff if it comes along over well, time I'm sure you'll hear about it yeah if not from us then from from some new source but go check out that Hollywood Reporter story it's it's fascinating as I say if tragic reading um, yeah yes um, <clears> let's talk about <throat> something a little less um serious mm. let's talk about ghost stories yes and i don't mean like these motherfucker random things you tell around the fire and it was a ghost and oh. there was a witch and it was <laughs> deadly it um, was the haunted billy hum hey i ain't talking about are you afraid of the dark hey, i'm talking about i i pre- i present for the consideration of the midnight society hey i like are you afraid of the dark <laughs> the tale of the dirty cloth, the, d- the dirty horses. This is else. The dirty horses, you <laughs> dirty bastard. Um, Andy Diamond and Jeremy Dyson stage play from 2010. <laughs> Ran in opened in Liverpool, transferred to Lyric Hammersmith, transferred to Duke of Wales. So it transferred to the West End first. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And then closed in 2012, and then reopened at the Arts in 2014. Yes, it did. Um, it did, did a limited run there of, I think it was 120 yeah. shows. Which is when I saw it. I saw it at the Arts. And you saw it four times before, pre- three, prior to that? Three times at the Duke, I think, and one time at the Arts, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I devoured um, it like it was crack, because, my God, it was good crack. <laughs> Um, that was very good crack. Um, great crack. Um, so, psychologist is giving a lecture about three cases dealing with the paranormal. Yeah. He's a skeptic. And, and he, he discusses how the way the mind sort of perceives things a certain way. Yeah. And maybe maybe the paranormal does exist, but not as a supernatural entity or force. It's like a self-created state that we all put together through terms of extreme stress, psychosis, pressure, guilt, etc. Yep. Uh, and here are three instances, three cases over the years of people he's interviewed and talked to and stuff he studied himself where there was no sort of seeming conclusion to it. But as far as he's concerned, he knows exactly what happened in each one, what yeah. it really was about. And we are taken on three journeys over the course of the stage play. Uh, and throughout, there's just little suggestions that uh, we're learning more about the people involved and Presser Goodman and his opinions and whatnot as it goes on in, in little ways that manifest that make you as an audience member go, oh. Um, something else <clears throat> might be going on Something here. ain't right. Um, uh, there's a wonderful, the, the whole thing wraps up wonderfully. There's a really like wonderful conclusion to how it all plays out. Yeah. And it's done as a lecture, but when the stories are told, the stage kind of gives way into the locations of the stories. And it's, yeah. It's it's a bloody solid thing, and there's a reason I saw it four times. Because one, it shits you up quite easily in a really pleasant way. Yeah. 
and two, there are clues that only on a rewatch you can spot as to stuff that you learn as it goes on. Yes. And you think, oh my god, they sowed that seed earlier on. Yes. Um, but as I found out on all my revisits, they made a they made a, a they made a great effort to change certain aspects of the show, at least in terms of visuals and effects, so that anyone on a repeat viewing, unless they were seeing it like the same time within within the same time within a month, yeah, everyone who went on a repeat viewing would see something different. So you would still be surprised or frightened in a different way than you did on your previous viewing. Which was a genius idea. Even mm-hmm. so, some of the some of the smaller freaky moments and and because so, the show utilised um, illusions, yeah, uh, but very subtle ones. And, well, Andy Nyman's worked with um, yeah, Darren he's Brown Darren Brown's co-director. And Darren Brown yeah. makes a cameo in the stage show as well. <clears throat> yeah, and um, and the film. Yeah, like, yes. And um, if if you enjoy the stage show, I, I looked it up. All the voice recordings, bar some like audio tweaking, uh, are the same ones used from the stage show. Yeah, which is wonderful because it's like. Especially having seen having seen the stage show to then watch the film, be like, "Oh, it's this bit, yay!" Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it did its it did its run over here uh, between the London uh, original London occupancy and the return. It went to Canada, I believe. Uh, there's a tour in Australia. And Australia, uh, so it did well, like elsewhere. It's it's got yeah. it's got yeah, a yeah. following, and I think it became just a point of they were either looking to adapt it eventually, or because there's no current version, they went right. Do you know what? Let's make it to a film. Yeah, because Andy and Nyman, Andy Nyman, I know, I know from some interviews, grew up on this stuff. But Jeremy Dyson, we know, alongside his like fellow League of Gentlemen, grew up on like anthology horror yeah, and yeah. that very specific period of like early seventies portmanteau and and just these freaky, freaky supernatural films. And boy, does it show! Yeah, Ghost Stories is a twenty seventeen slash twenty eighteen movie directed, uh, co-directed by Andy Nyman and Jeremy Dyson. Adapted by them Adap- from their stage from play. From their stage play, um, uh, it stars Andy Nyman as Professor Philip Goodman, reprising his role from the original uh, Liverpool run and the first few months of the London run, which was weird for me because I got to see him play that role on stage. Yep. So then seeing him in this again was like, oh, this is weird. It's like the stage. <laughs> Uh, another actor from the original stage cast as well makes a cameo as another character as well yep. in this, which is quite nice. Yep. Um, uh, yeah. Who else is in it? It's uh, Paul Whitehouse, who's really oh, bloody good. Yes, Paul Whitehouse is fantastic. I'm, I'm weird with Paul Whitehouse. Like, I love the fast show, and I enjoy a lot of the stuff he's in, but I've, for some reason he sometimes really puts me off, and I don't know why. It, it, it depends what character he's playing. Yeah. Because they can be a bit samey. Yeah, in this... Holy crap! Really good. Yeah, really. Like really great it's just, and again, it's a part that on stage was normally played by an older actor. Yeah. Um, but I mean, he's Paul Whitehouse is about the right age for the part, but he, he doesn't come across as the more fragile age that the actors on stage no, play yeah, it. But yeah. but it, it works really well. Uh, who's who's the young actor who's? Um, uh, oh, hang on, I've got it. I've got it here. Plays Simon. <clears throat> yeah, Paul Whitehouse plays Tony, who features in the first story, um, story of a man who's a night watchman at a warehouse, which. Uh, like one evening some shit goes down which he's never been able to explain mm-hmm. uh and sort of eventually led to it's implied an early retirement or at least like staying clear of going out at, uh, working at night yeah um that story's freaky as sin if you're frightened by things like the dark weird unexplained noises yeah creaking doors um and and russian fellas on the other end of a uh <laughs> on the other end of a walkie-talkie thank you a lot tony and you're free um, thank you tony 
Alex um, Lothar plays Simon. Alex Lothar plays Simon um, Rifkind. 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 Um, who's a young lad who borrows uh, his mum and dad's car yeah. one night and on the way back from a party runs out of fuel in the middle of the woods. Yep. Um, what else have I seen? <clears throat> um, Shut Up and Dance, Black Mirror. End of the fucking world. Yeah. Have you, you've not seen that Black Mirror yet, have I've you? I've not seen that Black Mirror. I've he's seen a terrific. bit of End of the fucking that world. That is one of the most uncomfortable things I've ever watched, that episode of Black Mirror, and he's superb in it. Yeah. He's very good at making you uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, And he's... being uncomfortable, <clears throat> and just... Being sympathetic, There's and no... also someone you would not want to ever be in the same oh, room Oh, God, as. no! Yeah. God, um, no. He's excellent in this. He's a really nice addition. Yeah. Uh, Martin Freeman portrays the final role, the uh, distraught businessman who, I think he's called Priddle. Simon, uh, Martin, Simon, uh, Simon Priddle. No, not Simon. Mike Priddle. Mike Priddle. Um, yeah, that's Simon Rifkin. Yeah. Uh, Martin Freeman plays Mike Priddle, who is a businessman who, on like the sort of the, the three or four week um, uh, like deadline toward his wife's, you know, expect expectancy date, because she's pregnant. Yeah. It's a late pregnancy, though. Uh, it's a late pregnancy, but spends a really odd night at home yeah. where he starts to see things. Um, and <clears throat> the stories, as they were on stage, remain pretty much intact. Some visual things are changed in certain ways, um, which I'll talk to you after this, actually, because there's a few things I noticed. Yeah. We're not going to. made me go, oh. We're not going to get into spoilers <clears throat> here because. Just like the stage play, yeah. Well, with the the play when you, when you arrive, the setting gives you an immediate vibe, and at the very end of the show, a voiceover asks you very politely to keep the secrets of ghost stories, because this show and as it turns out, this movie work best if you know nothing beyond the initial premise. Yeah, we are only telling you stuff that the trailers have discussed. But we're also giving our opinions on it. Mm -hmm. But don't you worry, no, no spoilers this week, because that would actually ruin the experience. And, and of course, if you've actually seen the stage show, or if you've already seen the movie, you'll. If we're talking about something obliquely, you'll know what we mean. Yeah, because you'll have seen it. Um, now, the wraparound is a nice change because obviously a yes. theatre in the theatre, the lecture works brilliantly because the first fifteen minutes of the show is just Professor Goodman talking to you the audience yeah. because he's talking to an audience in an auditorium and a lecture hall so it makes perfect sense for the film they can't do that as much but there is a, a sort of nod to that with a documentary style opening yeah and, well there's, the, there's, uh, the, there's an opening with him <clears throat> as part of it because they mentioned the TV show where yes. he debunks stuff yeah. and th there's a, a segment from that is part, part of the, the very opening. opening of the film yeah. we also learn more about Professor Goodman's home life and family at the yeah. beginning uh in a way that seems almost irrelevant after a while but you realize it's more to inform you of his character yeah, yeah um yeah. which is nice because again when you're in the room with an actor you kind of make a bond with them because you're in the room with them and they've made you laugh they've made you smile they've made you think in this instance we're detached because they're on the other end of the camera so they humanize him immediately by showing you kind of what life he came from and it works really well, but yeah. the way the stories come about, it isn't his TV special. He's not sitting there going, "Here are three unsolved cases." Yeah, he's contacted by his idol, who was a seventies like TV um, journalist, normal investigator, yeah, with a very weird Scottish brogue. Charles Cameron. Is that his name? Charles Cameron. Yeah. Uh, who who I, I remembered afterwards is mentioned in the stage show. I'm sure he is. Uh. He's mentioned. Well, in yeah. The stage show. yeah no. um, Jeremy Dyson and Andy are smart guys. Yeah. Uh, whereas in this, we, you know, basically this TV investigator has 
supposedly went missing sometime in the late seventies. Yeah. Um, Goodman grew up with like loving this guy's work, and then one day, and this is the plot, the, the plot of the movie. One day, this guy gets in touch with him, and basically says, "Here are three that I never solved. Here are three things I never found a conclusion for. Do me a favor. Prove me wrong." Like, all these things point to the supernatural actually existing. Prove me wrong. And there's the movie. Like, Professor Goodman visits the three people. So a bit different from the stage show. Like, we, we yeah. see him meet with them all. Um, which in the stage show, like, we, we, we get that because he starts pressing play on the dictaphone and we begin to hear the audio of the interview. Mm-hmm. That's something that made me realise the dialogue is pretty much intact mm. for certain sections of the movie. Only tweaked slightly. Um... But my god, it's... I mean... Yeah. The, not many translations from stage to screen manage to retain what made the show work. And I think a lot of that is just down to the medium, but at least in terms of the... Um, how this how the story leaves you thinking about it afterwards. Yeah. The movie definitely does that. It finds new ways to make the effects of the live theatrical experience translate to film, but it also utilises a few of the film, the, the show, the stage show's methods. Yeah. Because they're quite unique to the medium of cinema, so it's like, let's see what happens. Let's see. Yeah, let's I, see. I think it does a really smart <laughs> and uh, efficient uh, job of doing all, of, of making all that stuff work for a different medium. And <clears throat> what was nice about it is it's still quite restrained. Yeah. Um, oh God! I mean, the uh, <clears throat> actual element of of a horror movie in terms of like the oh here's a ghosty thing or whatever. The first one of those doesn't rear its head till about twenty five thirty minutes in. Mm-hmm. And when, when the um, first case story properly begins. And but even then, when it's not, it doesn't spoil money shots for you. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't overdo things because uh, I saw. I saw this and I saw A Quiet Place on the same day. Yes. Um, I double-billed them. And A Quiet Place is also very good, but we're going to wait till you've seen that so we, so we talk about that properly. Um, but what struck me about them both is that they are both quite restrained in what they show <laughs> and do. And they resist the temptation that so many movies, particularly genre movies, have nowadays where they just spurge everything. It's huge, like, huge. Have a look at this. Have a look at this. Look at this. Look at this, and shove stuff in your face. Me, me, um, me, me. There's a great. This uh, cinematography was by Ole Brat uh, Berkland, mm. um, who I don't think has done a great deal. I think this is his first cinematography um, gig. Gig. Oh no, he did. He shot uh, some of Utopia, <clears throat> you know, the Channel Four series, um, and some of the Missing, which is another series as well, uh, the, for stars. Um, shot some of that stuff um but he's got this um this really nice technique of just it, it really uses focus effectively to draw your attention to things and also to make stuff in the background look like other things yeah there's a great moment um in the second story where I think it was a case of the brain seeing what it wanted to see where, because of the way it was shot, mm. I thought I could see something that was actually something else. Yeah. Um, 
and I'll tell you what exactly later because yeah. I don't want to spoil I, it. Too I think much. I know you're right. But, but yeah. and and it was just it was just very cleverly <laughs> done, and it lingers. The shots linger. Um, there's actually not a great many. There are jump scares, of course, because it is a horror film, but it doesn't. It, there's not an over reliance on them, and it's more a sense of sort of lingering dread. Mm. And it, when when the scares do come, they don't jump at you and then disappear. It's they they, they you linger on what happens, and you get to, you get to see. Um. What what is going on? Without it being um, jumpy or flashy, and it it you get to take it all in. Lots of wide shots, mm. uh, lots of shots holding after the subject has left or when they become out of focus. Um, it's just a really great use of depth of field and uh, framing it all. And oh, it's, there's um, that there's that there's that one beautiful one during uh, the start of uh, Tony Paul Whitehouse's first story, where yeah. he's just he begins telling the story, and you're listening to every word. But the camera drifts sl- ever so slowly yeah. to the right, focus, and the focus is completely pulled onto the back of Goodman's head. Yeah, and everything around his head is blurred. Even Tony starts to blur in the back yeah. shot, and you're like, "What's?" The-? And then it cuts back to a close of Tony. Yeah, continuing the story, and it, like, moments like that, I think, are there to sort of suggest things, but also just to make you feel a little. Uneasy, yeah. The and whole it also film... illustrates that he's like blah blah blah. There's this bloody made up bullshit that this guy's talking about. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like he's not quite not quite paying attention. But the the audio in the mix, White House's dialogue is completely above everything else. So it's it, it's it's very yeah. The, it's the it's very film... quietly disorienting. The whole film has a sort of pardon me. Uh, the whole film has a sort of watery, yeah, fluid, mm. sort of hazy. Feel to it, it yeah. you can't quite get a handle on what's going on, and it's constantly overcast. Uh, yeah, the shots aren't washed out, but they're composed in a way that kind yeah. of feel a bit bleak. Yeah, yeah. It, it just looks slightly desaturated, but not in like a not in a gears of war way, yeah. not in an everything's brown sort of way, but just it, not in an uncharted, unlockable no. visual effect kind of way. Everything looks like a slightly faded photograph, and <laughs> it's just a bit, you know, everything looks a bit stained and. Mm. And it's just it just does create this great sense of atmosphere, which again a lot of modern horror movies are missing so much. Mm. And that's why that's why when I saw this was such a good day for me because I had this and a quiet place, which just both ooze atmosphere. Um, there was a wonderful tweet about a quiet place. I saw this week that said, "What Hollywood should learn from a quiet place? Oh my God, this is a different spin on horror. It's quiet. It, it holds yeah. itself back. It lets itself be frightening, but also very human. We should make we should support more films like this." what Hollywood will learn from A Quiet Place success. Cool, let's commission A Quiet Place 2, a spin-off, yeah. a prequel series, an Amazon yeah. TV show. It's like, yeah. no, that's... I mean, don't get me wrong, I'd watch another A Quiet Place, mm-hmm. but I worry that they, they would lose a lot of what was good about this one. Yeah. Um, Ghost Stories is... <clears throat> yeah, like I say, it's an exercise in mood and tension and atmosphere. It's... I really like that they don't... You don't really see any more in this than you do in the stage show in terms of um, phenomena, shall we say. Yeah, uh, a little I mean, bit. The effect, the, the effect or result of some are done in a way that 
they've obviously gone, we're on film, so yeah. we can push the boat a bit more. But there but was... Th- you see about as much as you do on stage. Yeah, and there's yeah. one... Uh, there's one part, one segment in particular where I really appreciated that restraint because not seeing this, whatever, is so much was more the, effective. Was this, was this the second tale by any chance? No. The third? Yeah. Was it to do with the way they used the focus to make it even more... Uh, in part. Because that was... In part. I mean, there is a shot in the third... Well, there's, there's two brilliant shots in the third story. There's one unbroken take um going through the the house oh yeah yeah which, yeah which is nice because you're completely there with the character in that moment of the hell was that yeah and then there's this wonderful shot where phenomenon a phenomena is occurring in the shot but it's completely out of focus yeah 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 like because that's not what's important what he's feeling is what's important, yeah. and the blurred lines are a big part of why these stories are so unsolvable. Yeah, you don't so... you don't feel <laughs> you don't feel afraid or tense because something scary is happening. You feel afraid and tense because the person in the scene feels afraid and tense. Yeah. It is it's brilliant like that. And mm. I just I just really applaud the restraint that they showed. Yeah. Because uh, how many other like if they if they hadn't have kept hold of it, and if it had been palmed off to someone to another director and adapted by two more different screenwriters, yeah, like, uh, like then like, it would have been like one of the lesser Blumhouse projects, for example. Yeah, it had been gone that way. It's kind of like oh, they just would have blown the whole wad on showing you everything. It's like we're on film now. You can show all the details, and we'll CGI this and thesis this and puppet that and whatever it's like cool but that misses the point yeah of it's not, why it's not the story point of why was effective in yeah. the first place um there there is there are a few extra bits and pieces in there that uh i can see some people who enjoyed the stage show being a bit like well, why'd they do that but uh, like it's the reason why we're not giving spoilers like without giving away why that is yeah is as you can probably ascertain there's kind of a there's an angle to the story which obviously becomes more clear the more it goes on. Yeah, exactly. The film, <clears throat> I think, phones in the clues a little more, like that they, they go yeah. a bit more. Look, clue, clue. But I think that's just because of the way the story is framed here. And, but also, and I think. Whereas in the stage version, in... it's more to do. Well, I know we're going in knowing. And I think if because we know because we know. What it is that we're seeing, yeah, we go, we click straight away. But I, yeah. I would be interested to, I would be interested to hear from people who haven't seen the stage show and have mm. seen the film because obviously I can't go in not knowing what I know. Yeah, and it's yeah, that's I true. think that would be a really interesting experience. So I kind um, of wish yeah. I could just erase my memory of ghost stories yeah. and watch this fresh. Um, but what is nice is that it. The, the new wraparound has been done in such a way that if the show were to now come back, even people who've seen the film would still get definitely get something out of the show big time. Yeah. Um, because the wraparound's different. The breadcrumbs are scattered in a different way, in a much more subtle way in the show. And also, just the visual effects used in the stage version, the illusions that are used, yeah. have to kind of be seen to be believed because you're like there's no way they could do that and then you see it and you go 
how the hell did they do that? Oh, the <laughs> stuff they happened. do in the stage show, even mm. and especially in the space as relatively small as the arts, mm. was just incredible. Mm. Um, and oh, God. Especially when they kit, they kit the space out yeah. to fit the show's theme as well. It's a shame that it's not still on, because if... If you had... Oh, if you had, if you had, which which isn't in the film, but quite rightly so, because subtlety was a little more needed for that stuff. And yeah, what they replaced it with worked very, very well. Yeah, good lord. Um, Um, and yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) oh, dear me. Um, (laughs) because there's yeah, there was one, there was one particular uh, aspect of the film Mm. which I. When I first saw it, I was like, well, why have they done that? And then when it pays off later, you're like, oh, that's why they did that. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I, I kind of want to talk about it, but I don't because I want to keep the secrets of it. Yeah. I don't. I, I do not want to talk about it in detail with anyone who hasn't seen it because it's it's really good. Yeah. And I don't want that surprise spoiled for you. Like, you'd seen it for... You'd seen it Four times before I saw it once in the in the theatre, and you didn't spoil any of it for me. Yeah, and I had such a whale of a time. Um, yeah, I it's and and I'd, I'd recommend don't seek out spoilers. A lot of the reviews have completely avoided mentioning anything beyond yeah, yeah. the basic plot. Quite rightly so. Uh, can't say the same for obviously some reviews and blogs and things like that. But like. Take your detective hat off. Don't be a Kojak about this. Just go in cold, knowing as little as you can. Um, hopefully, we've not given anything away that would ruin the experience for you. I think we've been quite, you know, we've we've held our tenth number to our chest, so we've we've made it easier to yeah. go in without any knowledge of what's going to happen. So, yeah. you know, climb up on there, shit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just to echo that sentiment, like don't. Don't come at this having done a bunch of research. Just yeah. experience it fresh and experience it okay. in a cinema. I think I think, I think, it was, uh, I think you're correct to echo that it's, sentiment. It's it's a British production, and it needs to be supported. It was all shot in Leeds. Ah, yeah, all shot in and around Leeds. Meat. Um, or <laughs> in and around Yorkshire certainly because it was uh, the thing of, uh, you know, we filmed for money and it's. And it's not getting a wide cinematic release in the states. It's going like straight to di- straight to digital over there. Um, with yeah, the they get release. it uh, two weeks from now. I think yeah, they got it yeah. on twentieth. Yeah, um, <clears throat> and I'm just I'm just glad they're getting these movies out now because I think it's a good. It, it, you've 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 post um, the Oscar bait stuff, mm. and you've got the juggernaut that is Infinity War. Yeah, to, like on the twenty seventh. Yeah, so it's nice that these movies are coming out now and getting a chance to shine. And yeah. If you get a chance to see it, we'll talk about A Quiet Place next week. Yes. Because that is also very worth talking about. But yeah, go see Ghost Stories. You buggers. If you don't like it, what are you even doing listening to this podcast? Um, <laughs> right, let's catch up on some emails, Cocker. Catch up um, on some emails, some Cocker. Some very, very persistent emails. Um, <laughs> first up... This one's from the IRS. First uh, <laughs> First one's in from Tom Bonte. Tom. Um, Bonte. Dear Christ <laughs> and Matthew. I mean, Matthew works because Matthew's in the Bible. 
So. I do work. I wish I didn't. Um, do you watch Peaky Blinders? If not, I've recently started watching it and highly recommend it. I've seen a bit of Peaky Blinders, liked what I've seen, not liked it enough to watch more of it. Great cast, great looking show, by all accounts well performed. Um, Killian Murphy's great. It's a BBC so. drama, isn't it? So it's, I'm imagining I it's only like... BBC. I think it's in the UK. Is it? Yeah. I've no idea. I can't remember. But I mean, that being the case, I imagine it's quite a short season, so it wouldn't, yeah. be, too, it wouldn't be too hard to sort of catch up. I've always wanted to check it out. Yeah. What I have seen, I've liked, but again, it's not hooked me. Um, but yeah, I can I can totally see that. It, it, he, it looks great. He doesn't know about art, but he knows what he likes. Um, are you ready for some reluctance? Oh, shit, Biscuits. Yeah. Is this Matt and Chris, two lifelong Doctor Who fans, reluctantly answer Doctor Who questions? Yep. <laughs> oh, shit, Tickles. Uh, what's your favourite story in Doctor Who uh, 2005, Series 3? And the same for Series 4. And why? For me, it's got to be fam- For me, it's got to be Family of Blood and Midnight, but I do really like Turn Left also. What a very specific time period, Thomas uh... Montias. So, Series 3 series and three Series and four. 4 of the modern run. Um... um... Series three, blink. Yeah, I mean Utopia, and mm. it's not—it's not even a whole. It's technically like the prologue mm. to the two-parter. Yeah, but the pacing of it, the pacing of it, and the the pes- the sheer pessimism of it, which is quite yeah, nice. and it's also very subtle. Yeah, like a lot of it just takes place in a lab. There's a conversation between five individuals and a hell of an ending. Mm. Oh Christ! I mean, that's my favourite. Um, yeah, I yeah. think moment from hell of an te- from the tenant run is is you know Jacoby's like <sighs> reveal in a way where like I imagine you had other, you had kids who'd ne- had no idea who that character was going I don't get it but he's evil right but everyone else is shitting themselves with excitement because they're like oh my god yeah. they brought him back yeah um and, uh, and yeah. I... I would go. I would go blink just because I think it's the best thing Stephen Moffat's ever written. Yeah, it's the it's the it's actually the cleverest thing he's ever written. It's the, it's the one thing that because life written. is short and you are hot. I I think <laughs> that it is the the only thing he's ever written where he can deserve to turn around and say, "Oh, that was very clever." Yeah, yeah, and the yeah. all the the way the time travel is all set out. The concept of the angels, mm. um, also the guest performances, particularly from Kerry Mulligan. Yeah, the fact that there's not very much Martha in it. Um... Hey, Martha <laughs> is a great character. Unfortunately, underperformed by a not as yet experienced Freeman Adjuman, um, who has definitely got better as her career. Has I gone don't on. think Martha is a particularly great character. I don't think the problem with Freeman Adjuman. I just don't think it's particularly well written. She's particularly well written as a character. She's the most um, companion there ever was because she told the world for a year and avoided death to spread the word of the Doctor and hopefully start a chain reaction that would bring her back to life a year's time later. Listen, I'm not a huge fan of the whole resolution of Lasso Time Lords. So you can't really pull that one on me. Well, you know what happens now. What? I forgive you. (laughs) 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 Uh, Series 4. Midnight. Yeah. I think I've got, I've got to agree, yeah, it really. Is midnight. It is. It just is. Um, Science of the Library, Forest of the Dead is very good. But gets a bit wrapped up in its own cleverness. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Uh, although, the, again, strong start. Like, oh, here you are. You finally made it. Why don't you recognise me? Oh, you've not met me yet. 
like having that in reverse and whatnot yeah. is a really strong start. But then they um, ran that concept into the fucking ground. Yeah, and it, it just taint it going forward. Um, Midnight is just a very, very strong piece of weird creep. I mean, it's, it's one of the few times in Mon Doctor who I've been creeped out. Like, really creeped out. Like, the idea of this unseen force and the only way you can try and understand it is by confronting it directly. Yeah. And the more you confront it, the sturdier and more powerful it seems to be becoming. All the while the people around you are growing more frightened and paranoid that you know something they don't know. It's just a great it's, psychological horror yeah. story. It's... I mean, that's one of the few times where the Doctor has been like, truly completely unable to deal with the situation yeah if it wasn't for the air host the, the air hostess like taking the initiative at the end he'd be dead yeah do you know what i mean it's like it, it, yeah. it's it's just disturbing it's so creepy um and you know great guest performances again yeah um, really really good uh yeah i love midnight and, and and also there's that wonderful um that wonderful yeah back before doctor who kept doing it in the Moffat era, you get the what if of turn left. Like, here's a yeah, what if yeah. episode of, of a screwed up timeline. Um, but also, Stolen Earth and Journey's End on broadcast was one of the most exciting fucking things oh, yeah, I've yeah, ever yeah. watched. Go and, out. like, I have a soft spot for those sort of popcorn munchers episodes, mm. like Event TV, but they don't they don't hold up to repeat viewings as well as the, the more self contained stories do. So, I mean, they're, fu- they're fun and they have their place, and of course. They're made to be like, hey, this is yeah. great. Everyone's back, and oh, it's the Daleks, and oh, it's Davros, and all the companions are on the console. Um, and you know, it's it's great, but it's you know, it doesn't, it doesn't. The shine wears off after a while. Yeah, it, it felt right. It, just it becomes, felt right at that time, perfectly. Yeah, it doesn't become. It's not an all-time classic, but it's a great popcorn one show. You know. Yes. It's no the thing. It's more of a. The thing comic book series that comes out and you're excited off your tits that it exists, so you read it and you love it, even though it's kind of terrible. Yeah, yeah. Um, Although it's stolen off Jersey isn't terrible. It's not the it thing. Just... It's more John Carpenter's vampires. <laughs> okay. In terms of like, okay, I'll take that. One person's work. I'll take um, that. <laughs> it's not the thing. It's more John Carpenter's vampires. Well, you know, it's not his best, but it's pretty good popcorn fare. <laughs> Dirty that. Um, Ginger Luke. Ninja Luke? Ginger Luke. Oh. Strap in for this one. Oh, God. Because he says, hey, Big Damn Cast, yep. short one this week. You fucking liar. <laughs> um, <laughs> you liar, Luke. Because it's this email plus the email you said twice before this. Just in case we forgot. Oh, bless you. Bless your eyes. Bless your cotton neck. Um, I've been working on my short film over the past few weeks, for which I can now confirm the cast. Some names you may recognise. Mm-hmm. Ken Young, Josh Trett, Greg Austin, Freya Hannon-Mills, and Stuart Hardy. Um, if you can't remember where you know him from, Greg Austin is most known for playing Gordon Selfridge in Mr. Selfridge's and Charlie Smith in Class. Yes, the uh, BBC's, BBC's... BBC's... From the universe of Doctor Who... BBC's possibly big finishes. Oh, Have you seen that? God, no. Stop big finish. Um, well, people really loved it. They've got a chance to have more. So fair enough. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, we need to see this short film that you're doing. How are you getting like professional actors for your short film? Why? Yeah. You're doing very well, Luke. I'm very. I'm a little jealous. Um, 
it's a pleasure to have such a great cast and I can't wait to share it with all of you. I can't wait for you to share it with us. Why don't we get to do short films with proper actors? What are we doing with our time and life? Um, crying, mostly. I mean, that's what I spend most of mine doing at the minute. Don't turn 30, guys. Never. You turn 30 and realise what you haven't achieved and when, you know, someone who's young like Ginger Luke comes in and overshadows everything you've ever done with a short film. Ugh. Never. No. This is why I'm on medication. Um, I will try to... Yes, it. Luke. You're why Matt's on medication. <laughs> yes. uh, no, no, no. You're not. Disclaimer, um, that's not That's not what you're I will. I will try to submit it this time as the last few occasions you've pre-recorded it. Here is my <laughs> Randy Quaid poem you suggested I wrote a month or so back. You know, it was a suggestion. It wasn't an instruction. <laughs> but... For those who don't know, a few months ago, uh, Luke was talking about Randy Quaid in an email, and we jokingly was like, I think we said something like, write a bloody poem or something. Um, <sighs> he did. And Ginger Luke has. So, Matt, I'm, I'm going to read it, because I admire your... Um, <laughs> he admires your moxie. Your pluck. I like your moxie, were. kid. <laughs> and, uh... God. A dramatic reading of the Randy Quaid poem by Ginger Luke. Uh, Randy Quaid, where has he been? Christmas vacation or King Peen? That's a to me, that rhyme. Because <laughs> of the voice I'm doing. He's odd but great, not bad, but wait, a golden globe he did win. Randy Quaid, why is he here? A little odd with a glass of beer. Eddie's Island adventure, needing brain and denture, he always is more far than near. Randy Quaid, but who are you? Is his career in acting old or new? Is he good or bad? Is he happy or sad? Just watch his films and sit right through. Randy Quaid, but where is he? Is he in drama? How can he be? Well, fancy that, dear Chris and Matt. He isn't you and he isn't me. That was a lot more intricate than I was That was. This is not, it's pretty fucking... Like, that was I, really well done. <laughs> why did you put so much effort into something so flippant? I'm very impressed. Well, um, making short films, I imagine Luke's just like shitting out content at a rate of knots. Oh, I he's, don't... Ha- he's had some kind of inspiration curry, and now he's shitting out content at a rate of knots. How old did Luke say? Like fifteen or fifteen or sixteen or something? Like I think he's actually lying. I think he's how... like sixty-five. How are you doing this well? With a youthful vivier. How are you doing that? I was barely a human being at that age. Like I, <laughs> Jesus, called it. He's a cyborg. I was a terrible teenager. Like I couldn't, I couldn't get my shit together for two minutes at a time. I'm, I'm honestly jealous. Um, Cyborg Luke, keep doing what you're doing, man. Uh, it's good stuff. Uh, I asked my local theatre if they could host an out of the Brim Cupboard show and gave me some details, which he oh. sent us. Um, yes. So that's something to think about for the future. Will you know? Out of the Brim Cupboard is entirely dependent on how it's going to grow slowly because yeah. these things do. So yeah, don't worry. We'll, It'll be a thing, eventually. We'll, we'll know eventually. Yeah. Don't mind the whippets. Yeah, it's not something we're going to be able to do, like... I'm not sure we're going to be touring it this year, you know what I mean? No, 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 no,
<laughs> that was actually really good. But no more. <laughs> they were already quite close. That was in the inbox three times. Not for Tiny Matt. His mind, Thrice. His mind cannot take the Randy Quaid of it yet. Thrice times four stanzas. Four score Randy and Quaid. Uh, <laughs> Ollie sends. Um, <gasps> greetings, greetings, greetings. Bonjour, Christopher and Matthew. I'm going to do the rest of this in French now because why not? Uh, I hope you are both feeling scrumptious today. Yeah, right. As an off and on and off and on and off again, listener. <laughs> I don't always know if any questions I have, you have already been asked. So please excuse me if I sound like a broken record of Peter Andre's mysterious girl, as I'm only trying to satisfy my own curiosity. I thought you were going to say, because I'm only trying to get next to you. <laughs> I'm not doing that for the rest of the email, because that's just tiresome. Uh, oh, my question... Voice, <laughs> my question... Oh, thank you. It's almost like I'm a professional. Uh, <laughs> my question to you, cheeky little monkeys... That's like a normal fucking page, man. Uh, my question is to you, cheeky little monkeys, is that I recently watched a video from the YouTube channel Redacted, called Redacted, in which the three panellists discuss their own recastings of the Justice League, that being the movie's lineup of members, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, The Flash, Aquaman, and Cyborg, and they came up with a very interesting roster of heroes. Um, for Superman... They fell upon the bloody gorgeous specimen of Oscar Isaac due to his boyish charm and charisma that they felt embodied the Superman that we need right now. Batman was none other than Idris Elba, who I think would smash the role if he were chosen. For Wonder Woman, they dabbled with keeping Goddess Gal Gadot, but decided to try and keep this new league free of ties to the current DCEU and instead chose Jessica Chastain, who I think would have made an excellent cheater. However, I'm sure Kristen Wiig, uh, I'm not get name correctly, will do a fine job as well. The Flash was their most unique choice, casting Millie Bobby Brown as Barry Allen, B-R-A-I, believing she would bring the Tom Holland Spider-Man youthful appeal to audiences. For Aquaman, Tom Hardy, because he's Tom Hardy and Venom doesn't deserve him. However, neither does the DCEU, but hey-ho. And for Cyborg, they picked Janelle Monae because, and I quote, she's already a robot in a good way. Um, if you two were given the task of recasting the current Justice League and maybe even a few villains, i.e. Joker and Lex Luthor, who would you choose to become the new faces of the heroes for a whole new generation of fans? P.S. As ever, keep up the good work and don't forget to shave because that's how the master started. Lots of love, <laughs> Ollie. Hey, um, Ollie. I'm not sure how I feel about those castings. Oscar Isaac... Uh, Oscar Isaac in another universe. Yeah, maybe. I mean, if we're going to go with, like, 50s era Superman, you go John Hamm. You just go John Hamm. See, I'd put John Hamm as Batman, but that's because I want my Batman to be kind of a little more camp and fun. Yeah. I think I've said, I said, I think I said on this podcast ages ago, like there was an alter, there was a beautiful alternate universe where we have a Batman movie with John Hamm as Batman and uh, Taron Egerton as um, Tim Drake. To, uh, uh, no, Dick Grayson, just sod it. Like, but have him older, like on the cusp of Nightwingism. Okay. So, been, so the, the movie starts with them having been a team for a while. Hang on, Taron Egerton, that's Eggsy, right? Yeah. Yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so they're up and running. They are 60s Batman style. We've met nearly all the villains. We know what we're doing. We're freaking great at Yeah, this. do you want to go for younger versions of these heroes or established versions of these heroes? I think established. Established versions of these uh, If we're recasting okay. this, they're not in the DCEU. It's, yeah. it's clean slate it's time. Um, I... Yeah, I John I, just because it's in my fantasy already, like that idea of that movie, John Hammer's Batman, John Taron Egerton as Robin, bring Robin along. Yeah. Um, uh, who do you think of Superman? Superman? I like. Um, who do I like as Superman? 
Who do I like as <laughs> Superman? The world's greatest Superman. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what the fuck this voice is, but I'm enjoying it. Superman, we'll go back to... Oh! Based on how he's directed, I've not seen his acting chops really in proper play, but based on how he's directed, you could get a Gal Gadot-esque like this could work out of someone like John Cena. I was going to say John Cena. Because he's, he's got the big, the big, I, the big lovable lug farm boy kind got, of thing. From what I've been hearing about blockers, yeah. I think he's got the chops for it. Yeah. Like you play, you play off uh, in your team up movie, you play off the slightly cartoony, like, He's Superman nature a bit. Yeah, he's a Boy Scout. Yeah. He's a Boy Scout. But he's just giant. Yeah. And like a wall of muscle. And at one point, Lex Luthor could hide behind a lead wall and say to him, You can't see me! <laughs> um, so there we go. Um, uh, yeah, no, Johnson is a good shout, I think. Uh, I'm trying to think of anyone else that immediately springs to mind for a really good Superman. Um... Okay, so I'm going John Hamm Batman, John Cena... Mm, John Cena Superman's Superman. good. Uh, I would go John Cena Superman. No, no, John Hamm Superman. Um, I would go for someone like... Who do you think, what character are you thinking of? Maybe if he shapes up a bit of David Harbour Batman. I could see that. With a Millie uh, yeah. Bobby Brown Carrie Kelly. Oh, there's how you get Millie Bobby Brown into it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, gender flipping the characters is interesting. I'm not sure you... I'm not sure you need to. Just create yeah. an original character. Or for, uh, I mean, if you want them to be in that guise, go for it. Make Jesse Quick the Flash. Yeah, there you like, go. You've, that, the character already exists. You just don't, don't, don't like sort of mangle Barry Allen into a, into a female name. Just make it... Barry Jessie Barry Quick. got lost in time. Jesse's yeah. filling the mantle. Jesse Quick. There you go, Jesse um, Quick. But, you know, just call the Flash. Idris Elba's Batman, I think, is like... I do think that's a cool cat. I do think it's cool It's like people keep suggesting him for Bond, and I think it doesn't fit. Like, I think Bond is too much of a misogynistic, imperialist fossil of a character for a for a modern black man to play him without too much sort of cultural yeah. baggage. Yeah, and I, I think you could co- you could sort of say the same thing about Batman without... You, you, you could do it, but you really have to sort of retool the backstory of the old money of the Waynes. Like, yeah. Because that old money uh, African-American thing is not so much a thing in the States. I mean, forgive me if I'm being ignorant about, about US culture, but no, yeah. I just don't think that there's that sort of... Um, no, I, I agree. It's, that it's old of, money, like, like Wayne Dynasty. No, you could, tw- you could 20, totally 30, do it. 40 yeah. years down the line. Obviously, yeah. it wouldn't be yourself because it'd be fucking geriatric. But, yeah. like, you know, 20, 30, 40 years down the line, you could you could certainly, I think, play a bit more with, like, maybe Wayne's ethnicity yeah. because you could, I could absolutely... the, the old money thing would be naturally replaced by yeah. that point by, like, you know, sort of post-war profiteering or something like that for the for the lineage of the Waynes. I also think it is essential to his character because Batman is essentially a right-wing authoritarian character. Like, no matter how mm. much people like to try and dress it up, Superman is the liberal, yeah. Batman is uber-conservative. Yeah. Um... And you, you, if you retool 
the character. Into I mean, yeah, something... sh- 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 some of his beliefs don't line up. It's like the whole, yeah. you know, in terms of right to bear arms, he's like, I have the right to break your fucking guns in two. But, like, I, but I, even so. Like... I think if you retool that character, yeah, you l- he doesn't need to be so violent. Yeah, and an authoritarian. In, in in which case, oh, he's John Ham, John Ham, Batman, not spirit, Batman spirit of adventure. Yeah, um, making making more Adam Westian in a, in a sense that it's more like, and you have other characters outside of him going, is he dragging that teenager around and fighting crime? Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, why is no one pointing that out? <laughs> because ultimately, Batman is as psychotic as his villains. He just channels it into something more morally <laughs> good and sound. That's the only difference. Um, John Krasinski, Batman. Because of that fucking chin, boy! Oh, he does have a chin. Um, that only, chin! Only thing keep his beard. Uh, no, he's got, he can't have the beard. Who was Batman? The... Was Bruce Wayne. He's got the same beard. Because he's got to have the chin. <laughs> and also he's charming. John Ham. He's charming his fucking... Yeah, no, but John Ham's Superman. John Ham. Oh, and you're a cat, yeah. Uh, I know she's... I know she's uh, maybe a little older than the role would require for physicality, but here's the thing: I'm I'm casting this with the sense of it being a character-driven story that obviously affects can aid. Yeah. However, at 48, she's still kicking ass. Gina Torres as Wonder Woman, please. Yeah. All right. Like in in my my All my right. version's a little more fa- my version's a little more fan wanky, old school, truth, justice, in the American way. So I I'm I'm not as beholden to the characters like Greek origins here. Mm. Gina Torres as Wonder Woman, I think, would just be really freaking cool. I mean, this this is also fantasy casting. Like, we're not we're, you don't fantasy oh, cast yeah, by yeah. saying an actor I don't know yet from this part of the world. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. Gina Torres as as Wonder Woman, um, um, as a Diana who's like been around the block. She knows what the hell she's doing, and she's just just ba- badass. Is her natural setting. Wonder Woman. I've got a few ideas for. You go, um, Katie Sackhoff. Yeah, okay. Go... I don't know what she was like in the pilot that never got aired, but I think physically Adrienne Pilecki's a really good shout mm-hmm. because she's tall as the mountains. Yeah, and it'd be cool to see her and... in a costume that actually looks good on camera. Yeah. And, and, you know, she's statuesque and she's got poison. I think she's, you know, what I've seen her in, she's pretty good. Um, uh, I think Jessica Chastain... I, I'm not as big a fan of that. I'm not sure she's got the. I'm not sure she's got the. Um, the the immediate physicality for it. Um, well, that's that. I can see her. I can see because the thing is, you want Wonder Woman to get stuck in, like Gal Gadot, kind of, kind of, um, uh, uh, epitomised every every kind of aspect of the character that you want to see like there was grace and elegance and beauty but she was also fucking savage yeah. and agile and like a like a lightning bolt with a jackhammer smashing up through Nazis and all the, you know, like, you know, no, not Nazis yeah. yet but you know what I mean um, but do you know what I mean it's like that. that's there Just Chastain I think would be too much on the, the side of the elegance and, and whatnot. Like, that's not to say she can't get down um, and dirty but that immediate visual just sort of strikes me as Oh, what a tall, elegant Wonder Woman. Yeah. Whereas, like, based on the couple of pictures we've seen of her for Dark Phoenix, playing whatever the villain's going to turn out to be, mm. I'm like, I'd rather stick her in a villain role in, the DC, in a DC movie, because I think she would lend a hand to that kind of thing. Like, make her someone on the lines like Catwoman or someone yeah, like that. That's a good shout. Um, um, how about... Hmm. See, Pammy wants to say Gina Carano, but I don't know if she's got the dramatic chops for it. I mean, she 
definitely freaking looks the part yeah. in terms of like she looks like also, she could, she looks like she could eat you alive. If she's playing one woman, who's gonna play Big Bada? Oh, okay. Oh. Um. Let's 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 do some speed round casting. Um, let's say Flash, a Green Lantern, and um Cyborg. Uh, Cyborg. Um, I'm not sure. Ray Fisher. Give him a better script. Yeah. Um, I'm not even kidding. I'm casting Ray Fisher, giving him a better script to go off of. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya. See, I'd put Kaluuya as Flash. You think? I can see, see him. I, I can I, see him doing I, Barry or Wally. I want. I. I I'm th- when I think Flash, I think someone who's more slender, and Kaluuya's what? a bit. He's a bit more built. Yeah. Oh, you're right. No, he looks a bit more like a football player, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and also, he's just fucking brilliant. Um. Flash, 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 oh, flash, 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 oh, flash, oh, flash, 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 I like that. But, but you, you do a halfway house with Hal Jordan in that it can be a young... Because like John Stewart's that. usually portrayed as older and more experienced. Here, you make, you go slightly younger. So he's, mm. he's still kind of getting the hang of it all. Mm. So you get a bit of the Hal Jordan-esque origin feel, but you get to finally do a version of the most popular freaking version of the Green Lantern on screen. Yeah. And John Stewart's military man, so... Uh... Yeah, yeah. But so also, I, I, just think, like I also think back, I also think of... back to moments and get out. I think yeah. like Psychoville, like his comedy chops are really good. So yeah, making him a more light-hearted character. Yeah, because if you do him a cyborg, you'd have to have him be him more monotonous be and... more humanistic. Unless cyborg's written better. Yeah, just cyborg needs to be written better. Basically. Cyborg needs to be written. Um, every time cyborg needs appears, to be written. Uh, every time cyborg's in anything, he should be written with the two thousands Teen Titans cartoon in mind. <laughs> I don't have a good shout for Flash, you know. I think go the I think yeah go Jesse Quick just for a bit of variety. I'm a female Flash. Yeah. Uh, Maybe Bob Brown's a bit young for me. I think. I honestly think she's way too yeah. young. Like if you, if she was if she was your Carrie Kelly, Robin. She's like, she's like thirteen, fourteen. Yeah. I think people think she's older than she is. Well, I think the internet's doing the whole thing like, yeah, it's Queen. It's like this is a child. Yeah, leave her alone. Like, she's, she's Admire a... how brilliant her work is. Yeah. But leave her the frick alone. Um, um, if, if you want to do a female Flash, again, I said, just say make it Jesse Quick and do someone like Emma Stone, uh, Karen Gillan. It's pretty long, isn't she? I'd say yeah. I, I'd go more Stone just because of that slightly uh, on edge comedic. Like if you look at oh, like e- if you look at like Easy A and stuff like that, oh, she can do the... that really kind of scatty, fast, sort of slightly unhinged yeah, yeah, comedy yeah, yeah, stuff, yeah. which which You're could right. work for. But then again, Jesse Quick's not quite as erratic as Barry, but then if you're taking the character out to use instead of Barry or Wally, then that's the best way to do it, maybe. I think so. Um, Aquaman. Oh, yeah, I forgot about him. Um, the Rock. All of them played by The Rock. All of them played by The Rock. He has to be in there somewhere, because he's the most electrifying man in sports entertainment, except not just sports entertainment now, but just entertainment generally. Um, the Rock is Superman, but don't you dare put a wig on him. Oh no, he's got to be a big brown, bald Superman, gloriously bald. <laughs> um, oh my God, a pop Polynesian <laughs> Superman yeah. who's got the best eyebrows in the business. Fuck yes. <laughs> um, if we're fan casting this in a different decade, I'd be like, what nineties? Uh, uh, Bruce Campbell is a slightly smoked ah! Superman. As a slightly smug super. Um, 
Aquaman, 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 Aquaman. I'm going to go, uh, I don't know. And that's cool. my honest answer. I honestly don't know. I can't, I can't think of anyone I'd look at and go, oh, he'd be a good Aquaman. Um, and the same goes for uh, the Flash, really. I'm just pulling it at, at straws there. Uh, other, any, any people who spring to mind who I would be good as, D, as certain DC characters? Um, well, if, if Ham's my Batman, yeah, then I want a Joker of a similar age. So, uh, Billy Humphrey. Yeah. <laughs> um, God, that is quite tough. Oh, screw it. Crispin Glover. Just do it. Oh, you're very good, Christopher. I mean... You are very good. It'd be tough to make, um, but it'd be one hell of a one-off appearance, even if he's just in the one movie or the one scene. Crispin Glover as the Joker opposite John Hamm as Batman. I'd watch the shit out of that. Oh? Lex Luthor The Rock. Yes, because, yeah, they're young him up, younging him up again. Playing against type because he's massive. Yeah. But he's intellectual, like, he's the, he's the version of Lex Luthor who's worked on his body as well as his mind. Yeah. He's like, I am, I am the pinnacle of what makes humanity brilliant. Look at me. I am a mental, yeah. physical Adonis. I am the absolute specimen. Who the fuck's that guy in the blue? What's going on? What is this? And you play on you play on the um, you play on the on the uh, uh, God was it? Uh, you play on the racism, the xenophobia yeah. of of business lex and and all that stuff. Uh, and, and you play on the jealousy, the idea that he's worked his whole life to be what he is. Yeah. And then this guy shows up, saves the day. So as far as Lex is concerned, oh, he shows up and saves a bus full of kids, and suddenly everyone loves him. All right, all right, you fucking glory stealing alien. I'm gonna. And The Rock could do that really well because he genuinely has a really good work aesthetic and work work ethic in life. Hmm. So could apply that to a character, but obviously turn it into like a supervillain trait as well. And yeah, that oh, fuck, I would watch that. I would, and then it's even better if it's John Cena, a Superman rematch. <laughs> oh my god, I'd watch the shit. Out of Somewhere this. out there, there's a universe in which John Cena and The Rock play Superman and Lex Luthor, and I am a happy man. I'd watch ten shades of shit. I'm a happy, happy man. Anyway, um, Harry Draper sends Harry Draper is going to close us out with um, uh, we we'll won this one. Um, hello, Chris and Matt. Hello, Harry Draper. It is me. Oh, the knock on the wall. Oh, the shadow on the diamonds. The voice in your throat. I was thought dead, shredded by the extonic venom of the sun of midnight, but I survived as an algorithm embedded within text in, say, a letter, or an article, or an email. Your voice is mine now, slaved to my intelligence. I shall nest in your vocal cords and once more be made manifest, and to prove that you are my prey. <laughs> I shall demonstrate and prove that I have hacked Matt's voice. He shall have no choice but feel compelled to read aloud the following words. Oh, tip biscuits. Plinch. <laughs> Scooby dooby doo. I am Groot. 
Where is my hot chocolate? No cheese, Gromit. Does your mother know? Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? I'll have fries with that. My thumbs have gone numb. Sponge me! Exma. Clara is the best companion. Oh, God. In Doctor Who. What have you done? Lovely jubbly. Cheers, fellas! Well, that was a fucking weird one. Oh, is that it? The creepiest thing? <laughs> uh, on that note, we need to go away for some medical counselling. In the meantime, if you'd like to get in touch with the physicians who are looking after us or the ward responsible, you can email bigdamncontact at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us at bigdamcast. Or, yeah. of course, go to the Big Dam channel on the YouTube. <laughs> One night in Bangkok, make a heart man crumble. <laughs> Don't forget, uh, we've also got a new Twitch channel, uh, twitch.tv slash stream. I'm doing regular adventures in backlogging streams over there, and now Chris is back. I'm sure we can get some more streaming action. I can join you for a fiddle. On board. Uh, by the <laughs> time you hear this, I'll have just started God of War 2. I've been killing time leading up to it. I've been playing a different bunch of things. I've played a little bit of Bloodborne, played a little bit of Burnout Paradise, played a little bit of Avengers 5. Played a little um, bit of... Uh, with the... And, the, and, the uh, and of course, you may see me online on my own channel just playing Warframe at any given time because that's all I seem to do nowadays. Um... Uh, once my broadband gets better, I might finally join you. 205 hours I've logged in that game. Oh, that's worrying and also impressive. Um, although, that's eight solid days. Eight days. Um, however, some of that is from 2014. I'm not sure how much, though. Um, <laughs> I think more than half of it is from the last two months. Because uh, <laughs> I'm going to go home now and play some more. Because I've got a Mirage Prime to level up. I don't know what that means. It means good things. It means good things. How good? Um, she's a Harlequin suit of armor, which may or may not be inhabited by a person that might or may not be an energy being who fights with swords and guns and um, powers. <laughs> and I've also got like a dude with a top hat sort of, who jumps into dimensional rifts and then I have another one which is Oberon, like the fairy spirit, and another one which is Titania, who is a fairy spirit who can shrink down into a little fairy and fly around. Uh, Lord Vader, bring me Darth, get me the fuck out of this podcast. Um, yeah. <laughs> Lord Vader, help yes. me! Michael McIntyre is... <laughs> Emperor Palpatine! You will pay the price for your lack of vision. You will. You will. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. I've missed you. That's very better.
How about now? You spoiled it now. Uh, 